0: For August 12th, 2019, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 580. America isn't a treasure, it's a treasure hunt. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we are poring over some sort of uh, falling apart uh, piece of text, a little, a little clue, a little, uh, uh, you know, bit of culture that is is flaking at the edges and and dusty and old and worn, and we spread it out on the table before. Us, drip some lemon juice on it, and blow on it. With the heat of our breath, we reveal a different meaning. I'm Matt Rather, and with me are my fellow treasure hunters, Peter Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. And Mark Lee.
1: Hello, Matthew. I'm now, breathing on something as we speak. Oh, <sighs> wow, that was intense.
0: I don't know if the I don't know if the um Yeah, I don't know if the if it's picked up by the microphone, but <sighs> 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 Yeah, that's good. Uh the um the the promise that we made you earlier uh earlier this summer is that if there were a weekend where we were not particularly moved to go out to uh, To the cinema to see something in current release that we would uh, we would not just do it for the sake of of doing it. I feel like that's fatiguing for all of us. But instead, we would rekindle our love of storytelling and of cinema by revisiting a classic film. Uh, you know, if it's available on streaming, all the better. That we could uh, go in and talk about and and have a lot of uh, uh, have a lot of fun having a conversation. About and then, uh, like a, a, a clarion call, like a, a secret message sent to us by a powerful cabal from the past, the New York Times published a uh, an interview, an extended interview with Nicolas Cage. Now, it came out online this week. Um, this, uh, Nicolas Cage piece, and then it was published in the Sunday Times today as we, as we record this on 11th, the 11th of August, 2019. So, um, this, uh, Nicolas Cage piece got us thinking, um, what, what Nicolas Cage film could we revisit? Uh, perhaps one we hadn't talked about on the podcast before. And of course we, we were led to the classic national treasure. Uh, a film about a, a film d- that is about, I made a joke at the beginning, but it's about doing what we do. It's about deciphering the clues. It's about finding the hidden meaning. Underneath all of the, the artifacts, the surface level artifacts and, and, and doing it with a, a kind of not only a, uh, like a puzzle master's, you know, virtuosity at, at deciphering the, the double meanings of things or, or, you know, whatever, uh, what have you, but also, um, with a kind of humanity. Uh, with the kind of deep understanding of the wellspring from which these things, these things emerge. What I mean, I think will become clearer as we talk. So let's dive in. Guys, what is the national treasure? <laughs> Pete, oh, do you have an man. idea? Yeah. I mean, you said, you know, why is yeah. that
2: even, why is that a funny question? Well, it's funny because the movie gives you an answer that's very much not the right one, right, which is that is a literal cachet of gold and Un, unrusted steel and marble, and that it's artifacts and, and books, specific artifacts and books uh, that go back, you know, hundreds, even you know, thousands of years that have been accumulated and hoarded by the Knights Templar and their descendants and their predecessors, right? Because the Knights Templar are hardly the beginning of the story if something was made in ancient Egypt. But, uh, but it, it, they had been, they'd been in, in the Temple of Solomon, right? they have been spirited along and so the surface level answer that this movie, and of course, if you haven't seen National Treasure, it's on Netflix right now. Go watch it. It's delightful. It's great. Uh, it is. It is. A, it is a movie for children. <laughs> don't get. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it is not really a particularly gritty entry in the Nicolas Cage oeuvre, uh, but it is. It, it has definitely got sort of an educational mission to it as well. But you know, above all that, it is. It is also a uh, a movie worth watching. You know, from its period. But at any rate. Um, on top of this idea, underneath, on top of, around this idea of these physical objects, the national treasure uh, – I'm I'm reminded once again of, of Wallace Stevens and the way that he frames notes on the su- Supreme Fiction by not necessarily identifying what the thing is, but by making statements about it that are true. So what is the national treasure? It is contested, right? That the national treasure is something that belongs – And it's funny; it's called the national treasure, but it's of a sort of international nature. It's from all over the world, but for some reason, it is associated with America. And and potentially, it's because the people who are watching the movie and in the movie and making the movie are all American, and that's kind of the really important lens through which to see the movie. Um, But it is contested amongst various sorts of people who want to take it, and it is from the past, right? So it is it is a legacy of thought and of of power and of wealth and all of these things that can be seized and that everybody wants and there's this question of who owns it now who's owned it in the past and who's going to own it in the future and so while you can't necessarily say oh well it's it's the riches that come from founding a country well maybe right but it also is sort of uh discursively has relationships with what you think a country is or what you think the past is i mean i'm 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 spinning out various sorts of cage-esque threads here but mark do you want to pick that question up at all and advance the ball on this a little bit like what to you is the national treasure um i think the first time i saw this movie
1: i really thought that there wasn't actually going to be a treasure and they would just be left with like another copy of the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> and Nicolas Cage would you know, look off in the distance and just say something to the effect of, "The national treasure was democracy all along." Um, but no, that is really not what this movie is about. Um, I, I'm I'm really kind of left without a solid answer. I think it's like a, a, an incoherence that is fundamental to the movie. Um, and and it just does not really interrogate this notion of uh what america's national treasure might truly be in fact it gives us really confounding notion that like it's a bunch of old world old world loot which i would argue that like a lot of america's mythology is quite the opposite that no we're not about the old world loot we're about rebelling breaking from the old world and starting something new here in the new world um, with all of our uh an american upstart ishness um, but no, this movie isn't about that. I mean, I guess if you really kind of want to go all the way around, um, uh, America is founded on old old world loot, i.e. slavery. So this is like some weird way of uh, of acknowledging, absorbing that and turning it into something shiny and gold. I don't think that's what the filmmakers are going for. No, no I, no, I no, I don't think so. No.
2: But it's, it's definitely, if you were just to have the movie described to you, like National Treasure is a movie where people go to a bunch of historic monuments around the United States and follow clues and a treasure map uh, in order to find a big cachet of riches from ancient times. You would think that what it's about, right, is about how the United States as a constitutional republic is a product of ancient Greece and of also of ancient Rome and thus of all of the different countries and uh, creeds that descended from that sort of complex of ways of life, and that this sort of affirms the United States as sort of the heir of Europe. That is not what this movie is about at all. Uh, I mean, I guess it's about it a little bit, but I I don't, I think that the movie has a really different angle on it. I don't know, Matt, what do you think the national treasure is?
0: I mean, I, to me, I take it a little bit more from the dynamic part of the movie, like the, rather than the static part of the movie, like the, the race, the sort of the aspect of sort of racing and against not, not someone who's not Sean Bean as a British person, but Sean Bean is a wealthy person, right? Mm, Like, yeah uh and the the aspect of sort of deciphering clues this this sort of documentary evidence and like the the you know they didn't have a shot of the supreme court in it was more like the national archives and the declaration of independence but um the idea that we are deciphering the idea that 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 america is about deciphering the intentions of this cadre of um You know, uh, uh, docu of, of people who wrote documents, right, is not, uh, is not really all that far off from from what America is, right? A lot of a lot of that. Now it's it's stupid discourse these days, but a lot of the discourse around you know political questions is is this constitutional? Is this not constitutional? Now that gets thrown around these days, as I say, by a, a you know a bunch of idiots who wouldn't know the, the Constitution if uh I, you know I don't know who, who wouldn't know the Constitution if it if it held these truths to be self evident all over their face. I don't know. It's sorry. It's a, I ran out of steam for that metaphor. I wouldn't know. <laughs> we couldn't, couldn't couldn't find a constitution with both hands and a flashlight. Uh couldn't find a constitution if it were right next to strength and dexterity. There it is. The um <laughs> but the uh but, like, still, the idea, the idea that what we are contesting is the interpretation of a hundreds, you know, centuries old document. Um, and that, like, and that the, the legitimate way to proceed in these, uh, in these disputes is to, is with recourse to this centuries old document. This is not totally, um, this is not totally out of step with, like, with the idea, with the kind of idealized vision of America as a sort of, as a great experiment, as an ideal that was articulated, you know, at a certain point in time. Um, and then the sort of, the, 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 how it sort of cashes out over time as we realize the limits of that idea or realize the limits of the way it was articulated or realize the, the limits of the social forces that gave way to, um, It being articulated because, you know, all men are created equal came with a a couple of pretty significant asterisks and, uh... Yeah. And so that, that, that like, um, but that like the, the, the treasure hunt and it still is, it still is the treasure hunt. So like America is not a treasure. America is a, is a treasure hunt. And, you know, I think you can sort of take a position as the Nicolas Cage in this movie who is like just kind of driven to, you know, um, yeah, Nicholas Cage represents, you know, capital L liberalism, right, in this movie because he believes in the perfectibility of man. And John Voight, represent, appropriately enough, John Voight represents conservatism because he thinks it's not – he thinks it is the way it is. It's unchanging. It's just more clues. There's sort of no there there. There's no actual, like, concrete benefit. There's no material benefit to uh, this pursuit um, this pursuit of treasure. So, uh, yeah, as I say, America is not a treasure, but it is a treasure hunt. And how you relate to that, I think, can say a lot about your uh, your feelings about being an American.
2: So to take it from another angle, I would also like to consider what is a national treasure in the contrast of what is a Da Vinci Code? Because I, I think I think you have to consider this movie in comparison to the Da Vinci Code, which came out the year before. Right, and was huge. I mean, am yeah, I mean, the book, wrong had, been, to, the book yeah. had
0: been huge already, and the movie was huge. It was hugely anticipated, right. and it did really
2: well. Yeah, I guess the movie came out in 2000. Yeah, the the, the novel came out in 2003. When did the – so the novel was huge of The Da Vinci Code when the National Treasure movie came out. And then the, Nicol, then the film for The Da Vinci Code came out in 2006 after National Treasure had come out. But I consider the two works to be in something of a monologue where National Treasure is saying things to The Da Vinci Code and The Da Vinci Code is pretending that they're not in the same room uh, because The <laughs> Da Vinci Code so – <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who have not read that, I'm not going to spoil the Da Vinci Code, but but the general gist of the Da Vinci Code shouldn't be that surprising, which is the idea that, you know, what we're told is kind of cultural history has these subversive ideas within it. And if you believe in the, I guess what, really super conventional, really straight down the middle, you know, uh, high school honors history exam answers not even anymore right but like from 30 40 years ago the middle the elementary school model of what u.s history is like or the world history in the case of da vinci code well i got something to tell you because there's this subversive undercurrent throughout all of history and this degree to which the history and the cultural history in particular that you think you know is a lie especially with regards to religion and gender right and this idea that that there is a kind of mysterious reality that you are sort of aware of, that you sort of sense is real because you don't trust the world, but you don't have the answer, and you don't know what is real, and this idea that the mysterious face of the Mona Lisa is something that everybody has seen, right, but nobody really understands, is is pulling at this idea that you've seen the world, and you know that the explanation that you've been given is inadequate, but you don't know what it is. And the Da Vinci Code is, I think, the the sort of thread that you're supposed to pull towards that kind of transcendental signifier right like because there's no actual answer right the world is just the sum of people there's there's no transcendental answer to what the answer to the world is uh, uh unless unless you ascribe particularly to a specific religion right or like a specific way of thinking let me rephrase there's no universally uh logically proven out superior explanation right that like that like people are hiding from you right there's no like oh if you if you keep as long as you keep reading i mean Nicolas Cage talks about this when he's in his interview in the New York Times where he talks about his search for the Holy Grail, and he realizes at the end that – the where Nicolas Cage, of course, went on a personal search for the Holy Grail in a metaphorical sense and no, says no, that no. he in found – In an yeah. actual literal, in a literal sense. sense. Yeah, he yeah. did yeah. on a search for
0: the Holy Grail. I mean he went to England, and, right, which is right. – uh, doesn't seem well, – anyway
1: –
2: also, Rhode Island
1: for reasons, yes. but
2: he went to Rhode read, Island. Read he went to Scotland and drank from a, a a spring that tasted like blood, and then he went to Rhode Island chasing after another oh. fountain that was supposed to have the blood of Christ. Hey. But then he bought a bunch of real estate that depreciated a lot, and then he made the the left behind remake. Oh, okay. So <laughs> like, this this talk
1: about the Holy Grail is actually yeah. re- very quite relevant yeah. to the um to the Da Vinci Code and, and National Treasure. Because you mentioned the word subversive earlier on, and again, without spoiling the Da Vinci Code, or I guess, I don't know, the New Testament, right? Um, that uh, the, the main thrust of the movie is uncovering a conspiracy, or the sorry, the, the, the Da Vinci Code book and movie is uncovering a conspiracy about how um, uh, the the true nature of Christianity and the, and the story of, of Christ and all that is um, very different from what had been told before, all along. And like, that truth has been hidden because of like how subversive and dangerous it could all be. Um, But that is not really the, what's going on in national treasure.
2: No, right? No, not at all. Yeah, exactly. Because in national treasure, the treasure, isn't about like how the world is run. It's not about it's really not about what America is. It's this store of value that was put together and is associated with the people who helped create the country as we understand it. But it's something that you go hunting for and you find that gives value to you. And I don't necessarily mean explains your life, right? It's that you go out and you and you find the treasure and it's something that that should belong to all people is the idea that is advanced by Nicolas Cage in this movie. Uh, In that sense, I think what he's talking about is. I mean, John Voight spells it out, right, in the movie as, you know, the, the the thoughts of the greatest thinkers, right? The greatest, over the course of history, a lot of very smart people have come up with really cool ideas. Some of them are even very morally compelling and special, and you might not even really know about them. But if you read books, <laughs> if you, the national treasure is reading books, that's what the national treasure is, right? Is that if you read books, you find cool things, and it's fun, <laughs> Reading books is fun, like going down a rope a rope elevator that's breaking underneath Wall Street, right? But and if you go out you and go to music. You don't have museums, to take
0: my world for it.
2: Exactly. <laughs> you don't have to take my world for it, right? But the, the idea that like the Da Vinci I was saying that the Da Vinci code is about the person's external regard for the world, like the secret lies like out there in the world, whereas like in National Treasure, the individual takes possession of the secret, right? That the National Treasure is something that exists in a sort of state of common possession. But if you go searching for it, you can find it. And uh, and there's not this and, and and if you're one of the good guys, there are also people who are searching for it. Who, if they find it, then you don't get it. And so there is a conflict, right? Which is that who's going to see this seize this legacy? If you're not out there reading the books and understanding how the world works and figuring things out, and also not that, but not just that, but understanding the kind of moral charge that comes with, uh, you know, for better or for worse, being in that kind of position, right? Whether you exercise it fully enough or not. And this is a movie that has a bunch of its own moral failings for sure, but it's a movie. That calls forth toward the idea that the treasure must constantly be found again. It can't just rest with one person. You need to just, you know, what? Disrupt the status quo is another thing that's discussed at the end of the movie, right? Like new hunters, new generations, kids on their eighth grade field trips going to see the, the, the Declaration of Independence are in a way, stealing the Declaration of Independence, right? Because (laughs) if they look at it and they read what it really says, they could find out something that gives them wealth and power, right? Which is the idea... That that they that if they find out that something that the people who are controlling them are doing something wrong, they have not only the right, but the responsibility to resist.
1: Right. Let's let's back up the truck here for a second, because, like, I really want to interrogate this notion, which you said earlier, which is that um, the treasure is out there and it was meant to be found and rediscovered. Is that what you were saying, Pete?
2: I guess in, in I said words. that, yeah, and you should interrogate that because, yeah. I, I, on reflection, it's not correct.
1: But yeah, like. no, because it's not. That's not how it's presented in the movie. It's very incoherently uh, uh, brought put, put on the table that you know the what is it the the, the Knights Templar found the treasure. Um, they decided it was too great for any one person to have, and so in their high mindedness, and now as the Masons, they hid it in the United States, and they also hid it from the British, and dot dot dot. All these clues are scattered scattered around so that you know it's it were it needed to be found it could be found but it would be extraordinarily difficult and really it practically speaking like uh, especially because the the first clue was in a freaking ship that was like snowed over in the antarctic right uh, you know if for all intents and purposes like they really intended it
2: to be lost uh, for all time that was my interpretation of it though I mean, do you I, see that differently though i mean i guess i would revise it by saying that the, that nicolas cage's character and the gates family in this movie generally led by the mighty christopher plummer their idea about what the treasure is. And if you say the treasure is sort of a legacy, right? The treasure is the legacy. And it's, it's, a, it's the legacy of learning and of, of uh, art and history and, uh, and everything that that represents. And some people think that that's something that only the elite should have. Some people think that that's something that nobody should have. You know, some things some people probably think that it should be destroyed, but the Gates family thinks that this is something that should be discovered and it should also be shared with people. And this makes them crazy. And everybody thinks they're lunatics, right? Like uh, and but also you could also say that they think that and also they think a bunch of other things, which also makes people think that they're lunatics. But the proposition, I suppose, is that and this is kind of a this is a place one of the places in which the movie gets a little bit more subversive than it seems on the surface because i think this is a movie that is more subversive under the surface than it is on the surface right which is that like it is not in the nature of the legacy of america to be democratizing Right. It is something that people need to do if they think it is important with regards to the legacy of America, because the National Archives is just going to sit on it. They have no, you know, the institutions of the country don't have the kind of moral uh, agency that you do as an individual to decide what to do about this sort of thing. And furthermore, like they could just as well, like lock it up and sit on it and not care. Right. Like not understand that it provides a moral charge as well as a store of value. And so, are are you going to be one of the treasure hunters who figures out that this is important, and that and and are you going to be the kind of person who sees in you know what enlightenment learning the the mandate for you know the liberation of peoples from traditional oppressive structures, right? Um, I mean, there's a lot of failings that this movie has, right? Like, I mean, we could we could all one 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 uh, scene or one sequence that really elucidates this is like the relationship that the heroes have. With the little black boy that they send in to the franklin institute to copy the key letters out of the letters that ben franklin sent to his, oh, his hometown yeah. newspaper right where like there's this little black kid and he's in the movie because black people are part of america right and there's a, there's a black woman who's also in this movie because black people are part of america and both the heroes and the villains relate to the black people and you and you sort of are shown, right? And this is also a movie where one of the main protagonists is an immigrant, a naturalized immigrant who's become a citizen, and the main protagonist of the movie says she's not a real American, and she gets very upset about it, and you're supposed to sympathize with her, right? And, and so the idea that everybody is trying to kind of like commoditize the black people in this movie by paying them, at least paying them, but paying them to get them to do things, but not really inviting them to share in it is is highly problematic. But I think that this is a problematic movie because it is concerned with problems, right? It like frames all of American history as problematic in the sense that it is all a problem to be addressed and potentially solved. And, and we're not supposed to believe that Nicolas Cage's solving of it is like the final. I don't want to say the final solution, but like the final the final thing that needs to be done with the American legacy. Right. So it's like so to get back to it, the heroes pay this little kid, this little African-American boy, a dollar to go into the Franklin Institute and copy the letters out of the book. And then when the bad guys show up, they give him $100 to betray anybody, to betray the people who were paying him before, right? Um, and and I think that there's something in here about this, this like – Just another this- example of late capitalism
0: corrupting <laughs> – sorry, I can't. I uh as it happens uh, I passed by a, a TV with the Big Bang Theory on it the other day and Simon Helberg was doing his impression of Nicolas Cage as a I think as a Dungeon Master. They were playing a role-playing game, and he was the GM. And and like uh, there was a tree that talked like Nicholas Cage. I I don't know. The details are hazy, but I do remember the Nicolas Cage Im- impression. And then also an Al Pacino impression. And and you know we can we can contemplate. Uh, it's left <laughs> as an exercise to a reader to distinguish between the uh, essential characteristics of the Al Pacino impression and the the Nicholas Cage in- impression. Pete, I'm sorry that I interrupted you
2: no i guess continue (laughs) nicholas cage's character in this movie is a xenophobe (laughs) he's a chauvinist (laughs) he's racist (laughs) right like and he has these failings and he's pig-headed and bull-headed i mean it is a Um, disney movie and it is a disney movie for children right (laughs) um but but i think the idea is that he can be better (laughs) right (laughs) that the idea is that nobody has in their mind right like nobody already knows everything they need to do to uh make the future a better place that's why we go searching for the national treasure which is the legacy of learning that other people have thought of before us so that we can read it and recontextualize it and potentially change the status quo so that the country can live up to whatever if you think the country needs to live up to a promise so that the country lives up to that promise and if you don't think that the country needs to live up to that promise so that you can do something else with the wealth and power that comes from being educated uh right and and what maybe that means being richard branson <laughs> which appears to be what uh being sort of uh back alley breaking and entering Richard Branson, which is what, you know, Alex Trevelyan or whatever wants to be in this movie. Yeah. Um, he wants the treasure. You get the sense that he wants the treasure not just because of the wealth, because he's got tons of money, but he seeks the treasure because he wants to have the greatest adventure and he wants to have the kind of greatest prize and 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 it's for his own personal kind of enjoyment. It's also for Nicolas Cage's personal enjoyment, but Nicolas Cage derives a moral enjoyment from it, which I think is supposed to be of a higher order and also does involve him cooperating quar- with other people and learning important lessons about how not to be a jerk, um, which, which are important in the movie, I think. And perhaps not hit quite as hard as they should in the movie. I don't know. I mean, what did you guys think about the morality of a national treasure? It's very fraught and complicated, right? Like, it definitely mutable, definitely something that that we if National Treasure were to be remade today, it would have to be a very different movie. But I think that in the same way, that's what National Treasure is doing with Ben Franklin is remaking Ben Franklin in a very different way, too. Right. Like Ben Franklin didn't know what a van chase was. he didn't know why it was important. <laughs>
0: I mean, yeah, and I, it's funny to do. I mean, it, supposing you anchored the movie still with Nicolas Cage. Right. Who would be the love interest? You know, Um, mm-hmm. Tessa Thompson, probably, <laughs> uh, which, you know, might, depending on, um, well,
2: I mean, <laughs> certainly, certainly wouldn't wouldn't not watch that movie. But but that's not what I mean. I don't mean that you would just have to make the cast more diverse or you need to increase the age difference between the hero and the hero. So you
0: would have to make the cast more diverse and you would have to increase yeah. the you would have to uh, include a different a different foreigner, not a not a German you know as uh
2: <laughs> yes as yes
0: the, as the love interest in this in this movie and the yeah the villain would probably also have to be have to be different i don't you know uh yeah i don't know the, the there is definitely a um the the risk tolerance he has he has a great de- he has a very high risk tolerance uh in this film right like the risk to the document the actual document the the uh declaration of independence is very um, his his calculation of that, and like why why he thinks it's good, why he thinks you know the the arguments in favor outweigh the arguments against, um, you know, heading to uh, going go with that and like uh, running you know running through the streets with it and and dousing it in in lemon juice and and whatnot. But like it's uh, it, it is it is sort of interesting. It is a bit of a kind of a uh, prophecy like he he is a bit of a chosen one in this movie mm-hmm. i guess is 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 what i mean and that's that's sort of american uh american as well i i do like um i i feel like there is some old school bravado in the just the completely formalistic grabbing and kissing of the female lead oh, with, with whom there's been no chemistry uh up to up to this point you know right like no no lingering glances no love theme from national treasure no uh just <laughs> just grabs her you know plans, there, there, plans there, went there on was kisser there was five seconds like 45
1: minutes earlier in that movie uh after they're uh changing in their urban outfitters together when they like linger and look at <laughs> each other's eyes and that's it Like for the most part, yeah.
2: (laughs) I definitely feel like this reinforces A, why Nicolas Cage is the perfect person for the role of this movie, and also the idea that we're not really supposed to be believing that there's a fourth wall and that these events are happening in a universe, right? (laughs) That this is like, that I do feel like this is a kind of learning can be fun kind of movie where the events that take place are, well, I mean, we talked about mannerism a little bit uh, with regards to. Um, Hobbes and Shaw and this movie is sort of similar in some ways but but even but it's like those things are even kind of phoned in they're not even they're not the purpose right it's like no yeah whereas, whereas yeah.
0: Hobbs and Shaw executes it's kind of mannerist elements with like gusto with right. like just scrupulous attention to detail with the and and all the kind of the anxiety of like a girl at a cotillion you know the, the National Treasure is a lot sloppier um, uh, with, with the... Uh the mannerist uh, elements in, in the movie, be they like, even, even to the point where, you know, cutting between scenes in the same chase scene and, and shots that are supposed to be continuous that are very clearly in a completely different location, (laughs) you know, like it does not scrupulously observe the laws of geometry, you know, and that's, and that's, is right? So much for your, so much for your, your foolish consistency. Uh, There's one phenomenon.
2: There's one phenomenon in this movie that maybe you can guys can help me come up with a name for, which is, it is used a lot. I feel like in this movie, which is when one character in a movie reaches out their hand to another character in the movie with the idea that if you grab their hand, it will save you. When, if you consider the situation and the physics of the situation, if you grab their hand, you definitely will die. Right. Which is like, like Nicholas Cage is like reaching out with one hand sideways out of a speeding van Right. Which is not that high off the ground. If Diane Kruger were to grab his hand, she would fall and her hands would extend over her head and she would hit the pavement. Right. Like she would bounce if she were to grab his hand. This also is the movie where it's like, oh, you know, he drops her off of a scaffolding and uh, and they and then she's. She's like, don't worry, I would have dropped you, too, to save the Declaration of Independence. But that's beside the point. The the idea that at any point the people in this movie might casually drop each other is just part of its unreality. But but this notion of, like, grab my hand had become so entrenched by this point in movies that in order to raise the stakes on it, the situations were elevated to a point where grabbing your hand would be useless. I mean, what is this? Is this, what, the cliffhanger point? What is this? Is this (laughs) the— I mean should we should we call it the like the Cage Kruger special which is
1: like <laughs> I mean, it, it it reminds me of uh, last crusade uh, yes! of
2: all things right and which oh, this yeah. movie pays a um uh, owes a pretty heavy debt too oh that's, um, that's even better as, as like an antecedent to this movie that this is the like last crusade meets da vinci code meets like a high school field trip well it is <laughs> this there's a <laughs> kind of a have your cake and eat it too
0: element right like the last crusade the beautiful moment in the last crusade when when sean connery looks down in harrison ford and says indy let it go and that's like, you know, the, the quest, right? You can sort of, you realize you've, you've achieved the grail when you can let, let the grail fall back down into the earth, right? And that like, uh, and that, you know, the Sean Connery was the grail all along. And that, uh, th- this is the opposite. You have to, you have to keep a hand on the grail and, You know, uh, and, um, take the hand of the, of the person you have to, you have to like save, uh, uh, what's her name? Diane Kruger, the, the, uh, from falling, you know, yeah, you gotta like flicker, flick her out so that she falls onto the scaffolding, you know, onto the, the, whatever the, the wooden Costco pallet of, uh, the, the Freemasons and, um also that you grab the declaration at the uh at the same time before it it falls but like how it wasn't that deep right it couldn't be that deep <laughs> at that point
2: you know it's a uh, it was five oh, it's five stories tall supposedly you four, mean like when she yeah exactly
0: actually, four or five stories right so let the declaration fall it's not gonna yeah, like exactly. it's not like a snake pit and that thing is done up really well in a, like a Kevlar case or something like that it's it's uh you know save the you know let it indie
2: Benjamin Franklin Gage let it go <laughs> <laughs> So like one of the fun to compare it again to Indiana Jones and Last Crusade, one of the fun things this movie really indulges in is posing a question to the hero in the form of a mystery where the audience can feel proud because they came up with the right answer too. Right. Which is the whole like the cup of the carpenter scene in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where you see the fancy guy drink from the super fancy glass and then he dies in theatrical fashion. And then Indiana Jones picks up the plain clay cup and you're sort of like, yeah, that's what I also would have thought Right. Or there's a sense of like, that's the right answer. It confirms there's a confirming sense. It's not like I'm surprised. I'm I'm surprised a little bit. But mostly my my belief, which I didn't necessarily know was relevant to the situation, is confirmed and that I get to participate in this in the end of it, which is, I guess, part of what makes it a grail quest. To an extent, is at the end you feel like you found something, but it's also something that you, that you, is in your history, right? Is whether it's literally or figuratively something from the, from the past. Uh, but with this one, there's that wonderful moment of one if by land, two if by sea, which is just so great. I mean, did you guys, you guys caught on to that moment too, right? When you, do you remember when you first watched that, this movie, whether that was something that stood out to you? Um, no, because I'm not. A, I'm a Californian, not a New Englander, and we,
0: oh. we just don't care about how the country was founded.
2: Oh, fair enough. Yeah, you. But, you, but California that, looks towards the future, not towards the yeah, past. So it's the bleeding mm. edge. <laughs> I mean, so Mark, you know what I'm talking about, right, Mark? Yeah, it's when they're uh, you know
1: down in the deepest part of the uh, of the catacomb, and uh, there's a lantern there. But uh, isn't that spun off as BS though? That the lantern, that they interpret the one if by land, two if by sea, just to get rid of um, uh, Al Trevelyan. Uh, yeah, so well, go up to the steeple.
2: It is, it is, but the thing is that if you are in the audience have gone on the kind of field trips or have participated in the kind of learning and the kind of, in- and really there's an enthusiastic hobby of American history, history that is, you know, of the sort of amateur pursuit of American history outside of an academic context where it's like, look at this cool place that Ben Franklin went and, and uh, yeah, George Washington it, slept
1: here being the, yeah, yeah, that kind of of cool
2: yeah. stuff. you know, that's oh, very possible. And, and I think enjoyable to be an enthusiast for that sort of thing. Um, um, and a lot of kids, and certainly where I grew up, kids were definitely taught this stuff. And maybe my, my dad's a bit of a history nut too, but but you would know that it that, yeah, it's one if by land, two if by sea, and they put up two because it was by sea. They didn't put up one, right? So when John Voigt says to uh, uh, Agent 003, 004, which one is it? Um, for England, James. No, for America. Um, <laughs> when he <laughs> says to Sean Bean, you know, it's one if by land, like the Old North Church, He he's like testing Sean Bean's knowledge of American history and the villain loses, like the villain in Last Crusade isn't able to correctly identify oh, that Jesus okay. was a humble carpenter. Gotcha. Which yes, And yes, yes. although we didn't necessarily know at the beginning of the scene what direction this was going in, And when it reaches the end, we can say, "Yeah, Jesus was a carpenter. He wouldn't have had a fancy cup, right?" We can also say, "Yeah, I remember. It's two if by sea. They came by sea." And then we can feel like we participated in the solving of the puzzle at the end of it. And especially in a movie like The Last Crusade or like National Treasure, which is really for younger people. You know, like Tom Stoppard added a lot of gravitas for it. Don't get me wrong, but the Indiana Jones movies are for children, right? Like, um, not maybe little children, but. Like, they're for teenagers, right? Like, they're not really supposed to be for older people. Uh, And National Treasure isn't either. I mean, we can watch it and enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with it. But it's like... If you're in that kind of space, that kind of headspace, that's a real charge. Like you get to be part of the story, uh, which I think is is part of what makes this movie fun too. Because the things that happen aren't so f- they're The the world that they're in is like outlandish, right? With with like the crazy Egyptian mysteries and whatnot. But the things that happen are pretty pedestrian, and and anybody could really do them. I mean, other than stealing the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, I did. Itself.
0: I did appreciate. I did appreciate how little mysticism there was. In the movie, I mean there was mysticism in that there was, you know, there was some mumbo jumbo, but but none of the action was generated by by mumbo jumbo, you know? It was all it was all uh hot hand on hand action. Um,
2: and not <laughs> <laughs> you know like on the clock on the hundred dollar bill, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Mm.
1: Um the the most mystical thing that happened, speaking of stealing the declaration of independence, is intuiting uh, Diane Kruger's password uh based on her
2: her, her love which of i also history. which i also did the first time i watched the movie right i was like oh it's valley forge it's valley forge uh because i'm i was born on the part of the uh united states that looks backwards rather than the part that looks forwards which is ironic cuz we watch the sunrise and you watch the sunset that's isn't but, that funny
0: yeah. sun sun <laughs> never sets on the american empire
2: no, there you go. <laughs> uh, is so, it worth talking now? Oh, sorry, go ahead. You go I, ahead.
0: You well, I, w- I was going to do a pivot too to to uh, yeah. the New York Times article because this comes this comes out. We watch this in the context of having read a a really potent manifesto <laughs> <laughs> from from Nicholas Cage, uh, an an apologia of sorts for his entire career and his whole um, you know, sort of a surrealistic and uh presentational style of acting. And this seems like almost one of the uh this, this seems this uh its sequel, I would say Gone in Sixty Seconds is another one um where It's a lot of it is really toned down, you know. Uh, it's not the, not the, um, theatrics of, uh, it's not the theatrics of, uh, oh God, what's the one I'm face off? You know, it's not the, the like the deep, um, human pathos of leaving Las Vegas or, you know, a, a lot of other high points in his oeuvre. He's, he's playing it kind of straight down the middle here. So I guess the way I want to, uh, i I want to address this question is do you see glimmers? of the the surrealistic um, sort of, he talks about kabuki and he talks about like avant-garde uh, art of all sorts. And he talks about philosophy in this uh, interview that he did with the Times. Like, do you see glimmers of this, of that man, you know, the man that we all kind of recognize as Nicolas Cage uh, screaming purple rain karaoke to exercise the demons, whatever personal demons uh, he was feeling at that time uh, on the anniversary of Prince's death. Like, do, do you see that man in this movie or is he completely domesticated by the Disney machine?
1: There, he comes through uh, in just tiny bits here and there. And the one that stood out for me was uh, when he's sneaking around in the gala and then he runs into Diane Kruger and her colleague and he gives the whole spiel, right, about how, you know, the toast to the founding fathers, how they were, you know, doing this bad thing, um, but it was the right thing to do. And he says it with... Um, A little bit more intensity than perhaps was required in the moment and then ends it by like slamming down and chugging a glass of champagne, (laughs) I think. So um, it was it was uh, uh, it was much more over the top than any other um, piece of dialogue he gave in the movie. And and it gave me joy. And so, yes, that very much felt like a Nicolas
2: Cage thing. Uh, To me, the most Nicolas Cagey scene in the movie is the scene where he's in Diane Kruger's office and he's explaining to her why Sean Bean is going to try to steal the Declaration of Independence. Because you get the sense with Nicolas Cage that when he says something, he needs it to be true, right? Even if it's something crazy, even if it's something just completely— out of of you know out of conception of human experience to some really grand or transformative degree, when he says something, there needs to be truth to it in the context in which it's being said, and so he really wrestles with the moment of telling the woman who manages the documents of the National Archives that there is an invisible map on the back of the declaration of independence and it's not like it's not like he's he's getting no help like, the, that's, that, that's one of the w- ways in which this is very much a Nicolas Cage movie, is that he gets no help in communicating the reality of the absurd propositions in this movie. He has to imbue them all with a sense of reality himself. And this also reinforces the idea that the meaning of the National Treasure is subjective. because That
0: is – p- sorry, I don't mean to stomp you by no. interrupting you, but, like, that is a really good point. And I'm thinking – I'm ticking through Nicolas Cage movies – in my head now. And that is true of almost all of them, where he bears, like Atlas, he bears on his back a massive world of crazy in almost yeah. all of of all of his movies. And that is not easy. Like, that is a lot of that is a burden for one man. I'm sorry, I just I just I felt like I had to underscore that. Uh, uh, please don't don't let me knock you off your so- point.
2: No, no, no. So the movie that comes to mind for me, the sort of non-traditional Nicolas Cage movie that still works in this way, that comes to me is uh, Lord of War, his 2005 movie about arms trafficking. Yeah, with Ethan Hawke. It was real good. Yeah, it's, it's a really good movie. And I feel like that's a movie where Nicolas Cage really carries the truth of what's happening. Uh, in in every word he says, in which everybody else in the movie is kind of like, okay, this is my job and I'm in this company and I'm doing this thing with regards to this war and these weapons. But when Nicolas Cage talks about it, he has to say it in such a way that it's true, which really belies the, uh, really, I mean, there's a wisdom there with regards to what reality is actually like, which is that reality is often not true. So when people are acting the way that they do in real life, in their real lives, if you're an arms dealer, you probably aren't acting like what you're doing is. Is true, because you have to protect yourself from it. And one of the things that Nicholas Cage describes his acting as in the New York Times article is as naked, right? He seeks to be naked. And so he wants to, in this movie, really lay bare the idea that there is a secret map on the back. It's, it's a cartograph. There's a cartograph on the on the back, on the transverse side of a certain document. It's the Declaration of Independence. And we can't see it. Because it's invisible, right? And, and it's just like he has to—he has to impart each piece of information as if it's something that a you don't already know, and b something that when you hear it, it changes what you know, <laughs> and also something that like doesn't feel like the lie that it would be if someone were to just say it all in one sentence, because they would have to be lying, right? Like if somebody came to you and said there's a secret map, Uh, if somebody came to you and said there's a secret pizza shop, but it has a code to the Declaration of Independence, you'd have to believe that they were BSing you. No one would actually believe these sorts of conspiracies, right? Um, but, But like when you say it, there's a sort of cult, there's a sort of like artistic way of saying these sorts of things that makes them participate in a certain sort of mutually agreed upon falseness. And Nicolas Cage is not interested in that. He is not interested in kind of Alex Jones style Cons- conspiracy theory he wants to tell you these things in a way in which they are true right and demonstrably true and not in a way that your feeling about it is going to dictate whether you think it's real or not um I mean, I'm going a lot of layers deep here, but like when he sits there and he's like, it's it's and it's like he hates himself, right? The person who has to tell the National Archives that there is a secret invisible map on the back of the Declaration of Independence has to hate themselves while they do it because they have to recognize how embarrassed they must feel. And if you think about the history of his family and how just shame he can't even use his real name, he's so ashamed of this wacky narrative that he is participating in. But it's his life, right? That's what he's he has to do. What's another Nicolas Cage movie that that gives you that kind of vibe, right? Where he where he carries the truth, right? Oh yeah, the, or the, he carries
0: a, he carries a burden. Gone in sixty seconds is actually not one where he's like he's doing it for his little brother. You know, he's right, he's right. like saving his little brother who's in debt to some gangsters or so or something like that, right? But, yeah, you know um,
2: that. What about uh, it could happen to you? Where it's like I have a lottery ticket. I promised the waitress. I promised her that if if I won the lottery, I would split the lottery winnings with her. And I am tortured by this. Right? Like, uh...
0: <laughs> There's a great, uh, there's a great um, bit in the Ethan Hawke uh, scene at the end in, in Lord of War where Ethan Hawk catches him. And he's in some like custom. He's a holding cell in customs. And he's just sitting there and he's calm. And he's like, let me tell you how this is going to go. And it's like you know, your your uh, you're a superior, superior, superior to you is going to come in. Thank you for the great work that you've done, and let me walk out of here scot free because it's not just the bad guys who have a vested interest in me being an arms dealer out there in the <laughs> yep. uh, out there in the world, and it's that like. Oh, here we go. Let me tell you. Let me tell you how this is going to go. That uh, really, uh,
2: that really characterizes this. Like, I want to tell you about the nature of reality. You, you know, know what movie this really makes me think of, both in terms of wanting to see and also tragically knowing that it isn't what it could be, is the 2010 movie The Sorcerer's Apprentice, yeah. Nicholas Cage made for Disney, because what it makes me wish is it really it makes me wish that this movie was just the story of Mickey Mouse and the brooms and the water and that Nicholas Cage plays the wizard who has to come home to his castle completely covered in water and his apprentice drowning because he imbued a army of brooms with life right and I want to see Nicolas Cage own that truth like you animated a broom and you didn't recognize that in fracturing the broom you created two animations and those created animations and you didn't see the power that you didn't know that you had that I told you not to use and the water right it's just like it's I'm sure the sorcerer's apprentice is much more pedestrian than that, but secretly I hope that this is that this movie shows Nicolas Cage freaking out as his apprentice sorcerer for not recognizing the magnitude of the truth to which he is being introduced and trained, but which he is not ready to harness. Right? Like, it's just, man. Uh man, I'm on a, I'm like looking. He did so many movies. One of the things he says in that interview is that he there's that people like Charles Bronson. He always liked that there was another movie of his on late at night that he could watch, and he wants to make so many movies that people forget all the movies he made. Right? He doesn't say it that yeah. way, but it's like so that you could say what's what's another Nick movie? What's another new movie Nick made? Oh, he made Two Eleven, right? Like, <laughs> uh, with with uh, with Corey Hardick. And who is Weston Cage? Is that his? uh, Is that like his brother, the the elder
0: son? Khalil Cage, I believe,
2: is the the younger son. Son, he made a movie with. He made a crime movie with his son. Oh, in Afghanistan, (laughs) he made so much. Oh, man. He, uh, but he,
1: he contradicts himself, uh, I feel like, oh, yeah. uh, in, in that regard. Like, you know, he he puts himself out there a lot because he like, more is more is basically what he says. And yet he also says that he uh, is trying to be reclusive to keep a certain air of mystique about him. In other words, less is more. So he's trying to have it both ways there. Um, well, and I guess no one ever really um, – Well, more, more work, accused-
0: not more articles on
1: TMZ, Right. Yeah, I'm sure there's a distinction for that, um, certainly. But you know, no one ever accused Nicolas Cage of like strict internal consistency. Um, but uh, here's something else I wanted to talk about uh, before we wrap this up is um, watching this movie about a vast American conspiracy in 2019, where it seems like all sorts of conspiracy theories and that sort of thinking is very much on the rise um did, did any of you feel like un- uncomfortable watching all this like Illumin, not an illuminati but like uh, you know yeah you and, and, you and mason yeah. masonry stuff uh in today's like brain addled QAnon environment i mean, I mean go for it yeah <laughs> no
2: no you i mean pete did you feel uncomfortable of I feel like this movie, I mean, i've I've praised this movie more than it deserves already for stumbling into truth that I'm not sure the people making it were aware of at the time, such as it's like progressive attitudes about um. The problematization of race and immigration <laughs> but like uh, like which I don't necessarily think it's fair to like fully credit them as like full throatedly endorsing solutions to these sorts of problems, but in efforting to make a movie that was credible about America, they had to deal with them, and they were imitating you know good smart sources and they got some things right and they got some things wrong. I feel like um. Yeah, I, my main feeling about it was that it contributed to the limitations of Nicolas Cage's character as a sort of triumphant person in the movie. But I, was, I guess in the context of what we're seeing today, um, here, here's what I think. Here's what I think about it. I think, and I think that there's a Nicolas Cage wisdom to it, too, which is that, um, and this, this also makes me think of Alan Moore, who's somebody who goes by a very similar sort of credo in terms of making art, which is that, like, the real world— is is crazy. Right, And the people in the real world don't always act in a way that corresponds to their situation. Uh, you know, For example, if you were to hear that someone was going to steal the Declaration of Independence, you would probably not act in such a way, right? Even if you had pretty good information to know that it was true, that it was really happening. It would seem impossible, and you would have to defend yourself from the idea, right? You would have to protect yourself from the idea that someone could steal the Declaration of Independence by laughing at it, right? But what if we really considered that? idea right what if we really consider what that was like and and I, what i what i'm saying here is not that there needs to be a, con, a conspiracy theory sort of way of thinking but it's that there's a craving for a, a commensurate amount of transformativeness that you could ascribe to weirdness right that that people want to have this sort of mythological relationship with history and reality because as as you know uh nicholas cage says in this movie yeah it's not how what people say but it's it's how they think right it's that people see that they live in a country and they start kind of thinking about the roots of that country maybe and and how the different symbols of the country might relate to one another and what it might all mean right and so what the challenge of national treasure is is that if you like an america that you think is normal and stands for good things you're probably going to have to get pretty deep into the weirdness yourself that that and, and, and that this is a conspiracy theory where the answer to the conspiracy is like George Washington is a good guy who fought the British. Right. And it's like a vast Illuminati conspiracy. Right. To just arrive at that idea. Yeah, right. It's
0: and a, it's and, a down it's a Downton Abbey elitism. It's not an Alex yeah. Jones elitism.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's like the the, the conclusion is a comfortable conclusion. It's, the National Treasure is not really Posing you uncomfortable ideas, especially for even for like 1992, right? For like what America might stand for. But it is posing the idea that the experience of something like that should be less comfortable than it is. And I wonder if part of the issue with conspiracy theories is not necessarily so much that we've stopped trusting the facts as much as we've stopped participating in the mythology and we think that that makes us smarter, but really what that does is create a need to participate in mythology, right? It's like, well, we don't have to really think about the mythologies right. around, we, we because think they're it, all nonsense.
0: Yeah, we think it makes us smarter, but what it really does is make us less interesting.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like, well, hey, did you know that Benjamin Franklin had, like, wacky glasses that he invented, right, that would allow him to see in different colors, or, like, you know, did you know that, uh, what was it, uh, invisible, he invented invisible ink, right, uh, or whatever it is, right, like... Um, and think about the, way, the degree to which the idea of invisible ink could, like, occupy you, potentially, and occupy your brain. And then if you dismiss all that as, like, well, that's not fun, that's not interesting. You know, the world is boring. The world is bad and dumb and, and dull and don't tell me these things then maybe down the road someone comes along with it with a different proposition right you know then you may be maybe that part of your soul is crying out maybe everybody has a little nicholas cage inside of them that really wants to be flipping over the declaration of independence squeezing the juice on it and applying the heat right and you, and and you don't have to you don't have to <laughs> do it about nonsense you can do it about things that make sense because they'll also yield to the same sorts of investigation and give you interesting things and teach you things, right? Like, you could just read the Declaration of Independence and be like, well, that's weird. That doesn't make sense. That's a contradiction. Where did that come from? And you could delve into its history and try to piece it together and try to, like, sort figure it out, right? You don't have to be figuring out crazy nonsense. Now, granted, what do you think is crazy nonsense? That's left as an exercise to the reader, right? Like, But I definitely know that when I hear things that to me seem, you know, just not— you know uh, defensible or like things that to me don't really feel like they're worth investigating because their distance from reality is so great that they're they're really representing the needs of the people who are investigating them more than a corresponding reality that's a subjective statement you got to make for yourself i do identify in them like I mean, even if it's not a nicholas cage you've got a, you know, you got maybe a fox molder in you that wants to know you know, I guess what? If the truth isn't out there, maybe the truth is is in there. Right. It's the truth is down there is maybe the moral of, you know, of national treasure. Right. The truth isn't out there. It's down there. It's in the past. It's in the hidden places. It's in the long books that you don't want to read. And it's in your contemplation of them. I don't know. That's that's what I gather from it is that national treasure is a call for us to treat normal things Things that we think are too pedestrian to be worthy of conspiracy theories as conspiracy theories and subject them to the same level of interrogation and interest. It and pl- see oh, if sorry. It- I, I just uh, – <laughs> sorry. I thought that's that's where you were headed. Yeah, absolutely. No, maybe. That would have been – that would really stuck the landing on that one for <laughs> sure. <laughs> But nothing can, in a Nicholas Cage oriented podcast nothing can be so clean and easy. <laughs> it has to come dirty and it has to come hard, right? Well, it has to come in a swarm of bees. <laughs> <laughs> we,
0: all right. Well, this podcast came dirty and it came hard, but uh, we we uh, saw uh, national treasure and and we conquered it. So. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Pete and Mark, for podcasting with me. You're welcome. (laughs) We'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcast. Until then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It It probably probably doesn't doesn't. deserve it.
1: Uh-huh.